If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Chocolate can be your strength. I've been searching high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. So I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. But you need to eat five or more ordinary dark chocolate bars every day to match the flavanols consumed in most of these studies. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Cocoa Powder and beverages deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm your host, Layla Mudin. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist here in New York. I practice integrative and functional nutrition since the beginning of my career, which was in 2003. I joined Dr. Hoffman in his practice in 2005, and the practice continues. I also maintain a private practice here in New York. If you'd like to make an appointment, call our office and talk to Liz, 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. As a nutritionist, as a dietitian, one of my diagnoses, and it's also a medical diagnosis too, I can't just call it my diagnosis. Typically in nutrition, we do nutritional diagnoses like iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, uh, vitamin D deficiency, magnesium deficiency, things of that nature. But there's another one called polypharmacy. Polypharmacy means the patient is on a lot of medication, too many medications. When a patient comes in complaining of all kinds of symptoms, could be gastrointestinal, could be mood, it could be brain fog, it could be issues with sleep, it could be aches and pains. Well, naturally I look for deficiencies, but I need all the information. I need to know all the medications they're taking. And if they're taking one or two plus medications, you know, Anything beyond what would be reasonable. I don't even know what's reasonable. But, you know, elderly people, because they may have multiple chronic conditions, normally in those over 65 and, and older, um, we see them on more medications. And if you're taking it, and it really breaks my heart to see a younger person, somebody in their 40s and 50s, and of course even younger than that, my, my heart breaks even more. If they're taking five plus medications, 
a 38-year-old taking seven-plus medications. Wow. For various symptoms and other chronic conditions. Easy to start, hard to stop. Polypharmacy and de-prescribing. A recent survey among older adults in 11 countries reported the highest rates of multiple conditions like hypertension, heart disease, lung problems, mental health problems, right? Cancer and or joint pain and arthritis. In the United States, which was 68%, in Canada, which was 56%, compared with European countries and Australia, rates of 80% were reported from studies that also included such other conditions like hyperlipidemia, like a high cholesterol, triglycerides, and allergies. And as a result, older adults are likely to be prescribed multiple medications, a.k.a. polypharmacy, and utilize more health care at a higher cost compared with patients with no or fewer chronic conditions. Now, medication, prescription medication, kills more than 200,000 Americans every year. I'm not talking about an overdose. I'm not talking about an inappropriate dose. I'm talking about the prescribed dose of medications, of pharmaceuticals. Yearly kills over 200,000 Americans. So these are some of the consequences of polypharmacy. Polypharmacy and potentially inappropriate medications in older individuals are associated with adverse drug events, death, impaired physical and cognitive function, falls, and hospitalization. And approximately 53% of those over 65 in the United States and 42% in Canada take four or more prescription drugs. Wow, half of Americans over 65 are taking four or more prescription drugs. And many over 65 take five or more prescription drugs. And this rate is increasing. Now, reports indicate that in Canada, seniors with three or more chronic conditions take an average of six prescription medications, and more than 30% of those over 65 are believed to be taking at least one medication that is potentially inappropriate. There is a Dr. Barbara Farrell, uh, who, who in her hospital in Ottawa has been studying. She's a clinical scientist at Bruyere Research Institute in Ottawa, Canada, and she's the co-founder of the Canadian Deprescribing Network. 
and a co-developer of deprescribing.org. I wonder if such an organization exists here in the States, here in the United States. So Dr. Farrell notes that at her hospital in Ottawa, it's not unusual to see a patient on 25 to 30 medications. Quote, frequently, a medication is started to see whether it will help with certain symptoms, almost like a diagnostic test. But then the medication has never stopped, she explains. Oh, we've seen that a lot. Ten years go by, quote, ten years go by, and the family doctor retires or dies, and the patient sees a new family doctor who doesn't know why the drug was prescribed in the first place, but is scared to stop it. She says, I see patients in their 80s and 90s who've been on a medication for 30 years and no one can remember why they are taking it. Wow. I know I see that a lot with our patients who come into the office. So although the term deprescribing, which is defined as reviewing and identifying medications to be stopped, substituted, or reduced, This first appeared in the scientific literature in the year 2003. The problem of polypharmacy in the elderly has been recognized for 30 years. Dr. Farrell says people had been trying to raise the alarm all the time, but only in the past four to five years have we seen greater awareness of the increasing costs to the system, not just of the medication, but also of treating adverse outcomes of medication use, including emergency department visits and hospitalizations caused by drugs. This is what's happening in Canada. Deprescribing has earned widespread attention because it's an active word rather than a description of the problem, such as polypharmacy, Dr. Farrell says. She stresses that deprescribing must be directed and supervised by a healthcare professional at the same level of expertise as prescribing and should not be confused with non-adherence or non-compliance. And let me elaborate even further. Deprescribing is to be done by the healthcare practitioner that prescribed the medication for you in the first place, or other practitioners, because maybe that practitioner has since retired or died, i.e. your family doctor. You must find a practitioner, preferably a doctor, an MD, a DO, with or a natura, or, or, or uh, a, nurse, a nurse practitioner with the same expertise Those who can prescribe can also uh, deprescribe. Under no circumstances are are you, the patient, taking the medication to stop, to cold turkey, to reduce or taper the medications on your own. You are never to do that. And anybody that gives you that advice 
is not just silly, but negligent and dangerous. Deprescribing must be done under the supervision of your doctor, of your nurse practitioner, of the prescriber. Not your health coach, not me. I'm a nutritionist. I'm a registered dietitian. I have no prescribing rights of medication. I cannot take you off your medication. It's not within my scope of practice. You must not take yourself off your medication without the supervision of your doctor because doing so will be dangerous. Again, deprescribing should not be confused with non-adherence or non-compliance. So, you know, I see a lot of polypharmacy. We see a lot of patients coming to the office with, on so many different medications. And what happens is one medication will be given for the condition or the symptom that the, the patient is presenting with. But then that prescription medication has a side effect. So they come back to the doctor saying, well, now I've got this other problem that I didn't have before. So now another prescription is written to deal with the side effect. Now that person is on two medications, one for the original condition and now one for a side effect. Well, that second prescription given to deal with the side effect is causing indeed a different side effect. So now you, the patient, you're going back to your doctor or healthcare practitioner with, I've got this other side effect, what's going on? And so on and so on, the prescribing continues. And then we have established polypharmacy. Current clinical practice guidelines do not typically take into consideration the long-term net benefits and harms associated with all medications that older patients with multiple chronic conditions would be taking if evidence-based guidelines for each condition were followed. Clinicians complain about the number of different treatment guidelines that they have to consult, and the complexities of risk-benefit assessments in these patients. All the clinical guidelines tell you how to start drugs, but not how to stop them. So we thought, why don't we try to create a deprescribing guideline? following the same rigorous processes that you would use for an evidence-based prescribing guideline, Dr. Farrell suggests. So, as part of their de-prescribing guidelines for the elderly project, again, this is in Canada, Dr. Farrell and colleagues used evidence-based approaches and guideline assessment tools to develop guidelines for specific drug classes identified as priorities for clinicians. And the first four guidelines cover deep prescribing proton pump inhibitors. And which, by the way, I'm going to get you, I'm going to talk about these classes of drugs and the potential health problems that they can cause. 
And this is why de-prescribing is so important. So the first four guidelines cover de-prescribing proton pump inhibitors, benzodiazepine receptor agonists, antipsychotics, and drugs for high blood sugar, antihyperglycemics, all of which are accompanied by decision support tools in the form of algorithms. Now, a fifth guideline in preparation will cover other drugs in the treatment of dementia. And this group in Canada is hoping to get funding to develop additional guidelines for statins, which is cholesterol-lowering medication, bisphosphonates, which is bone remineralization medicine, although it doesn't really remineralize it, destroys bones. That's another topic. I don't mean to digress. And blood pressure drugs. And Dr. Farrell says, ideally in the next 10 years, I'd like to see all prescribing guidelines have de-prescribing sections so that people can see in a patient with a certain condition not only when to start a drug, but also the reasons for decreasing the dose or stopping the drug later and how to go about it, says Dr. Farrell. Her group has recently been in discussion with Hypertension Canada about working in partnership to include guidance on deprescribing in the Canadian Hypertension Education Program Treatment Guidelines. So what are some challenges for implementation of this? Despite increased awareness about the need for more deprescribing, there is, quote, nothing in primary care right now. Nothing in primary care right now mandates that older patients must have medication reviews. And nothing that says exactly what constitutes a medication review, Dr. Farrell cautions. In Ontario, patients in residential care must have a medication review every three months, but the quality of that review varies widely, she says. Quote, another challenge is the lack of consistency in the proportion of teaching about geriatrics, let alone polypharmacy and deprescribing in medical, farming, and nursing education, she says. We are trying to promote incorporation of those competencies into the undergraduate curricula. Bravo, Dr. Farrell, for the work you're doing in Canada. In the meantime, research is needed to support the benefits of deprescribing over usual care, Dr. Farrell says. Experimental and observational studies to date show deprescribing to be feasible, safe, and associated with some benefits, although reductions in mortality have not been shown consistently. Listen, everyone, every patient who, who's walked into my office who's on a proton pump inhibitor, you know, your Nexium, your Prilosec, your Prevacid, those, have never been given instructions to come off of it. 
Basically, they've been prescribed that medication by their doctor and told to stay on it forever. But if you read the directions, if you read that leaflet, if you read the warnings of that medication, you really shouldn't be on it for more than a few weeks. It's either three weeks or six weeks tops that you should be on it. Yet these medications are prescribed for the rest of life. And it's really unfortunate. And here's a clear example of where being prescribed one medication causes another problem. For example, somebody prescribed, somebody coming in with heartburn, GERD, you know, gastroesophageal reflux disease, instead of being told or, or referred to a dietitian nutritionist such as myself who is qualified in helping that patient make the nutritional changes, lifestyle changes, in order to diminish that heartburn, in order to get rid of it. Instead, the doctor is prescribing them a medication. Nexium, Prilosec, Prevacid, Protonics, Dexalent, for their heartburn with like a lifetime prescription. And what happens Say that person is in their 40s. What happens is they're on it for years and years and years. And what we find out is later at age 50, age 52, they've got a diagnosis of osteoporosis, not just osteoporosis, but severe osteoporosis. Because what happens when you're taking a proton pump inhibitor, because of its acid-reducing ability in your stomach, you're no longer absorbing the critical minerals your body needs for all of its functions and especially for bone health and proper bone turnover. Hence, osteoporosis happens. So now that person, because they've been on a proton pump inhibitor since age, oh, I don't know, 45 or 40, they're now having to take Fosamax at age 52. Well, guess what? You go to the dentist. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed my dentist asking me, are you on any bisphosphonate medications? My answer is always certainly not because they're always checking for necrosis of the jawbone. Deterioration of, 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 your, of your jawbone, right? So this is another problem caused by the second medication. You see how this goes, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that's why de-prescribing, I applaud Canada for doing this and Dr. Farrell's work. I, I wish I would see more of this done in the States. I know it doesn't help the business model of the pharmaceutical industry, but, you know, we need to first do no harm, right? I'm talking to doctors who need to be concerned and take up some de-prescribing. Because oftentimes when a, when a patient comes in with, I have this problem, that problem, and the other problem, and they are very clearly side effects of the three, four, five, six, seven plus medications they're taking, there needs to be a conversation about de-prescribing. I want to thank you for joining me on another edition of Layla Ways In. This is Intelligent Medicine. This is Layla Mudin. 
RD. I see patients regularly, along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, there's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. I look forward to being a collaborator in your health care.